a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. everyone and welcome to a new episode of Force Ghost Coast to Coast, a Multiverses Comics podcast. This is the podcast where we take a trip to the galaxy far, far away and talk about everything that we love for Star Wars. And I'm your host, Alice W. Castle, and I have been your host for like all of the episodes, so you should hopefully know me by now, unless you're a new listener, in which case, welcome. This episode's going to be a little different. If you're a, I want to say a long-time listener, we've had four episodes, so if you've been listening to... <laughs> The episode so far, you may know that myself and Brian, who's joining me in this episode, have set ourselves a bit of a reading challenge. Mine's is sillier than his, but we've both cracked open our first novels of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. For me, it's the old Expanded Universe, and for Brian, it's the new canon. And we're going to talk a bit about our first steps into this larger world of Star Wars novels. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well, Alice. Thank you for having me back. You're always welcome back. I think I mentioned this before the call. I basically see you the, you as, like, the co-creator of the show. Like, this is as much your baby as it is mine. Well, you've done a lot more work for it recently, but I appreciate that, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Cool. So what we're going to kick off with is something that I, I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, and it's become a, such a stickler for my Star Wars knowledge that I had to get around to reading it, and it's Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire. It's... The maybe one of the most important Star Wars novels ever written. It certainly kicked off the expanded universe, and I just never got around to it. And until now, and I finally finally finished it. And I'm going to talk about it with Brian, who I think you mentioned you haven't read this in longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Something like Is that. that. I think I might have read it when you were like uh, just a, a wee child. I, I've read it. I, I want to say in the spring of 1992 or three so yeah uh yeah i i wasn't born then (laughs) like just i was not created at that point so this is going to be an interesting chat what so before i get into my thoughts on this i want to i want to like see what impression this is left in you like what can you recall about reading this book okay so let me let me try and see what i can do here so obviously i remember um the unpronounceable jedi the dark jedi yes um, I remember the, uh, you know, um, is it Talon Card? Is that the name? Yes, that is. I remember Mara Jade. I remember, obviously, Thrawn. I remember Leia being pregnant. And I believe she gives birth in this mm-hmm. book. I'm not sure if it's this book or the next one she gives birth in. Uh, but I remember her giving birth to the twins. I remember um, Luke being very worried. Like, I remember a lot of tension with Luke about sort of the... Uh, the, the the specter of of starting the new Jedi Order again without Ben there. I remember, I, it doesn't almost not open, but isn't an early scene like him like thinking him being like basically fuck you Ben for leaving. Uh, Pretty much, I think it's like the second chapter. Like there's a chapter that sets up Thrawn, and then it cuts to Coruscant with the New Republic, and Luke's just having a dream about Ben like basically ditching him, yeah, and not having felt his presence for like five years. I was like, "This is a, this is certainly a way to open a novel." <laughs> yeah, uh, and then I remember. Um, it's funny. I I remember, and, and this shows you what an impressionable like fifth or sixth grader I was when I read it. 
I remember it was the first time I had heard the word grimace not related to the McDonald's <laughs> character. So I didn't I to me Grimace was a big purple guy. I had no idea what the word Grimace meant and I read it in this book. Um so, so that's a little bit of weird secret origin for me. Um and I remember the business of there being uh, I believe isn't that dark Je oh actually I'm not going to say that cuz I don't know if that comes out in later books. Uh, what do you know about the dark Jedi in this book? What how do you pronounce the name by the way? So for most of the novel I was pronouncing it something like Kabouth. Mhm. Mm but as far as, so I think I looked it up earlier because I wanted to see if I could get it right for the podcast. And I think it's meant to be something like Sabaoth, Sabaoth, something like that, okay. which is weird. Yes. I you could tell it, it a hard <laughs> you could tell it was written by somebody who, who wouldn't have to say it. <laughs> you could tell it was written to be read, not to be spoken. Yeah. A lot of stuff in this novel is like that though i feel like so this is one of the things that i noticed um with timothy's handwriting compared to like a lot of the stuff that george lucas would come up for star wars is that timothy's Zahn leaned heavily on like hard consonant sounds put together like the one that kept coming up was but fash is a <laughs> planet and that yeah. just didn't sound like a star wars planet to me because i'm so used to star wars planets having really good like vowel sounds like the one i keep coming back to is utapau like, this so strong vowel sounds that book fash just didn't feel right. But yeah, so reading this novel has been a long time coming. I've been trying to get around to it for at least a decade now since I heard about them. And I liked it. I'm going to, I'm going to say up front, I enjoyed reading this novel. It is a good novel. But I also really didn't know what to expect and found like the actual story of the novel kind of weird in what way and i'm not sure how to explain it so everything that i'd heard about this novel basically boiled down to two points which is thrawn and marriage aid right mm -hmm. like those were the two biggest concepts of the book that basically i'd heard about through hearsay or like through kind of cultural osmosis of star wars fans and i was really surprised by a, how little marriage is in the novel at all up until kind of the last third and B, the fact that so how am i trying how am i trying to word this the the structure of the novel is very simple in a way i wasn't expecting where everything just kind of leads up to the conflict on Merkur, where luke and marriage are uh and uh, the forest and then there's a big spaceship battle and then it's over and I was like I don't know what the actual I feel like I don't know what the story was if that makes sense that's interesting you know um, I don't again it's been 20 plus years since I've read this book so it, it's hard for me to remember exactly mm -hmm. what happened in it but I will say this I was so instantly taken by it because it was it was the first time that a kid like me was able to see a, a Luke, Leia, and Han story after Return of the Jedi. And so I don't think the novel had to be great to grab yeah. me because I was just so happy That's to, to be spending time with these characters. I think a lot of people felt the same way. Yeah, I will say this. I, I think that, that Zahn introduced things into the Star Wars canon that are still... That still have have resonance today. I mean, the fact that the Thrawn is back in continuity yeah. is pretty crazy. 
I, I, I feel, For sure, I cannot argue with that. I, and I feel like Mara Jade is going to be back at some point in some capacity because that character is still so popular among big Star Wars fans. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I feel like once you've read the other two books in the trilogy, it might make a little bit more sense. The other thing to remember here, and this is very, very important for Star Wars, this is the first time that the that a book was written or sorry that a Star Wars property was written as the first part of a trilogy. Yeah. Now obviously if the book had tanked they wouldn't have made more of them, but we're used to like a new mm-hmm. hope is very much a self-contained story. This is very much the first act of a story. I think that's one of the things that I found difficult with it is that I think that's where cuz I don't think I explained myself quite well in that so I, I can understand the plot of the story perfectly. I like know the cause and effect of things happening. <laughs> I know. But I feel like there's elements to it which are, I'm going to explain this later, and that's where I'm like, I don't know why certain things are happening story-wise. Like, I don't know what the point of the Dark Jedi stuff was, because I just know it's going to happen. It's gonna, he just stops happening in the novel. He just disappears for a while. And I'm like, I guess he's coming back in either the next one or the one after which is kind of weird. Yeah, he he plays a pretty major role in the trilogy. Yeah, like I assume so, but I always I kept expecting him to come back, and then all of a sudden the novel just stops. And I was like, oh, I guess that's our cliffhanger. I wasn't, I guess I wasn't expecting any kind of a cliffhanger, and so much is left on that cliffhanger that I was like, kind of taken aback. That makes sense. That makes sense. Did you um? My my big question for you, I, I I have three questions for you as somebody who just read this. My first one is, what did you think of the characterization of the original trilogy characters in the book? So, for the most part, I think so. I think he got Leia pretty well. Agreed. Um, even though I was slightly disappointed by the fact that Leia didn't have much to do after a certain point, like once she goes to Kashyyyk, her story just kind of peters off and begins to focus more on Han and Luke. I liked his characterization of Luke, but it, the the storyline surrounding Luke kind of ties into something that I want to talk about later with Dark Empire and how I like I find myself really not interested in the old EU's concept of the Jedi, if that makes sense. Okay, that's interesting. Like I'll, I'll circle back around to it because it might tie into what you have been watching Clone Wars. Yes, yes. I think Han Solo is the one that tripped me up a lot because I think there's points where, and like in the characterization of Han Solo, he there's like turns of phrase he uses that don't feel natural to, to how I think of Han. You know, like these characters have such ingrained voices that if a writer nails them, I find myself reading the dialogue in their voice. And I didn't find that with how Timothy Zahn wrote Han in this novel. It's funny you say that. I had the exact same criticism of Chuck Wendig's Han. Really? Yeah. I wonder if Han's just like a really difficult character to nail down. Maybe it's because we've seen Harrison Ford do more than we've seen Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill do. Okay, yeah. And so and so when whenever we hear Luke or Leia speak, there's only like three or four films that probably you and I know really well with the two of them where they're playing characters that would sound like Luke and Leia. Like, you know, Mark Hamill was the Joker, mm. but, you know, but, but Luke isn't walking around yeah. like doing Joker stuff, you know. So um, 
so I, I, I wonder if that's why. That's possible, yeah. I think there's so much of just Harrison Ford's like distinct cadence to his performance as Han that it, it's hard to replicate that with new dialogue that he isn't specifically being written for, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's stuff that will read better on the page than spoken, and having that dissonance there is kind of weird. Like, it's not something that will ruin a novel, but just oh, certainly not. Scenes, I was like, mm, that didn't, that didn't quite fit how I think, you know, how I think he sounds. That's really interesting. Um, so, so what were the other questions? Okay, my my second question was actually about the Jedi. Okay. I was gonna say because you know, again. This is how I understood Jedi for most of my like early Star Wars fandom yeah. was because there's way more about the Jedi in this book oh, yeah, than is ever sure. spoken in the first three films. You know, how does this interpretation of the Jedi speak to you, having grown up with so much more about the Jedi before having read this? Yeah, so it's something that I found kind of strange about the novel, and I think. So I'm kind of mostly fine with it, but what what kept coming up to me is the fact that, you know, it's only been five, I think, something years since the Battle of Endor, and all of a sudden, everyone treats Luke like this grand Jedi Master who knows all of this stuff, who knows what, you know, Jedi battle meditation is, and who can... And people, characters in the story ring off kind of facts about the Jedi as as if they're just wrote as facts in a ways that aren't kind of organically introduced, if that makes sense. Like, there's stuff where Luke talks about just stuff he knows about the Jedi, and I'm like, okay, where did you find that out? Who told you? And, like, there's... I, I can't remember which one it is. There's something where he talks about something that Ben mentioned to him, Obi-Wan mentioned to him, that wasn't introduced, actually, in the films, and is we're just supposed to kind of infer that he mentioned it outside of that, which feels weird to me, if that makes sense. Uh, it, it does. I, I would think that, you know, that Ben and Luke had more conversations than the conversations we've seen. Yeah. And I would think that specifically, like, Yoda and Luke would have had a lot of conversations. Like, you know, he, <laughs> there's all yeah. that fuzzy, like, timeline with Empire. But you figure Luke would have learned a lot about the Jedi from those guys that we don't see. Um, but I understand that point, that that is a little bit silly. I always thought it was interesting how... Luke is essentially a celebrity in this book. Yeah, he does kind of, uh, yeah. But I think that that's really true. Like, imagine for a second if one guy killed Hitler. Like, wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't would everybody love that famous. guy? Yeah. I think so. I think one of the things that kind of bugs me about, it's not specifically the fact that Luke knows all this stuff about the Jedi, because I'm pretty sure when we see The Last Jedi, he's going to be in that, you know, Grand Master role where he, he has all this knowledge about the Jedi. I think the way it kind of, not even bugged me, kind of rubbed in the wrong way in certain scenes, was I wanted to see Luke learn this stuff, you know? I wanted to see, you know, the creation of the Jedi Order through someone who has no real idea of what Jedi training is, other than, like, backflipping with a puppet (laughs) in a backpack (laughs) and a swamp. Trying to recreate what the Jedi Order means thematically without having any kind of concrete idea of what the Jedi Order was during the Republic. 
and but the way it's treated is that all of a sudden he just has knowledge as if he had that training i think or like and i was i was just kind of hoping like what i would rather have seen is him learning that stuff or kind of working through not just like oh should the jedi come back but like how the hell am i going to teach someone because i'm going to go from the hat tangent here and it's one of the things that i really dislike about the old eu and i still found it hard to kind of wrap around in here is Leia becoming a Jedi. It's something that I could never connect to because I don't know how she went from, oh, she's a rebel leader to, oh, she's just perfect with, not even perfect with the Force, but like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm trying to explain No, I, I, I understand, what, you, I understand what you're saying. I think that there's a fundamental but, difference in the way that you and I, and, and I think we're very emblematic of the generations of when we got into Star Wars. I, I I yeah. think it's a very different understanding of what the Force is and what a Jedi mm. is. Like, to me, if you were, like, w when Yoda says, you know, there is another, and we find out later that he's talking about Leia and that Leia is Force-sensitive, to me, and I think to a lot of people of my generation, that just meant, like, oh, she's a Jedi. She just doesn't know it yet. Like, Jedi wasn't something you trained to be. Yeah. Jedi was something you were born and, okay. and and there's a certain I mean there is a certain amount of training to it you know Luke does train to be a Jedi but it's not like mm -hmm. it's a different it's like it's like training for a marathon like you know anybody can train to run your body might have different like you know abilities for it that's not with a Jedi you have to be a Jedi to then go through Jedi training you know what I'm saying like I I think Jedi yeah. Jedi meant less of a title and like, more of a the, thing there was a certain point where the idea of being a Jedi and being force sensitive were just the same thing yes basically yes yeah so um so I never really had a problem with the Leia as a Jedi thing uh, what I what mm -hmm. I always found was a little bit weird about this novel is to me they introduced card who's just basically like Han 2.0 yeah a little bit Han with you know, underlings, basically. Yes, yeah, exactly. But the character does a lot of interesting things later on, and, and actually is one of the few characters that carries past the this trilogy, I believe. There are other, like, card stories that go on later. Yeah, so I think I've mentioned to this before uh, in one of our chats, is that I had a really weird introduction to the, the character of Talon Card outside of this novel, and it was in the campaign podcast. Mm-hmm. Where, so it's an Edge of the Empire, a Star Wars Edge of the Empire role-playing game that they record as a podcast. And they're clearly huge fans of this era of Star Wars novels because Talon Card is one of their NPCs. Mm -hmm. But they, like, they just have fun with it in a way that completely skews the characterization away from how he's presented in the books, which is a kind of weird introduction. Like, he shows up and he's very, he's very prissy and and the podcast and it's kind of this weird foil for the characters and i keep kind of like reading it knowing that before knowing the character from uh from the novels was a kind of weird dissonance but i kind of i quite liked talon card i liked him as a all like he because he's a bit like if han and lando were the same person yes that's a good way that to put it sense. Like, if Han Solo had control of Cloud City or something like that. Yeah, that's actually that's a really good way to put it. I think that when you're reading this novel, one of the things you got to keep in mind, I'm not saying you have to keep in mind, as we're reading the it. The royal you. The royal you keeps in mind, yeah. is that, like, this is them throwing spaghetti against the wall. Like, <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing with this. They don't know if this book's going to sell 100 copies or a million copies. And so you see a bunch of things that seem very fan servicey, 
Like, okay, how do we get people to buy this book? Let's make Leia a Jedi. Oh, mm-hmm. she's pregnant with Han's kids and they're twins and they're Jedi. And that's the other thing that I think is interesting yeah. is that, like, they know that the, the, she's pregnant with Jedi twins. You know, like, you know, we know that's a dominant gene. And so they're going to be little Jedi babies running around. And you also get, like, you know, Talon Card is like, you know, he's, he, if you liked Han Solo, you're going to love Talon Card. You know, there's a lot yeah. of. There's a lot of sort of uh, fan service there, and that that must be interesting to read now, having, you know, having some having some perspective when looking at the book. A little bit, it is kind of strange, and I think having read that and having read like a couple of the other novels, um, like Splinters of the Mind's Eye, and I've been reading through the Dark Empire comics, um, from Dark Horse. You know, every one of these stories, in one way or another, introduced another Jedi that isn't Luke. You know, and this one, it's the weird clone of the Jedi who from the Clone Wars, when they <laughs> right, were still yes. trying to figure out what the Clone Wars actually was. And Splinter of the Mind's Eye, there's Hala, who's this just weird, like, Force-sensitive hermit. She's like a female Obi-Wan without the lightsaber. And then in Dark Empire, there's just, like, the Emperor comes back. He's got a clone body. Like, every other character is some kind of Jedi. And it's like everyone wants to be the one to introduce some new Jedi character into it. Because Jedi was, like, no one knew really what Jedi was outside of, like, Obi-Wan and Yoda. Like, they wanted to be the one to put their mark on these new kinds of Jedi, which is really interesting to see in hindsight. Yeah, and that's something I feel like, again, one of my big problems with the Clone Wars, and we're jumping all over the place, as we're wont to do in these conversations. um, Yeah, uh, we kind of do that. One of my problems with the Clone Wars is I, I don't, I'm still uncomfortable seeing Jedi as military figures, like the whole idea See, of General I'm glad Kenobi. You brought this up because it's something I've wanted to talk about reading your reviews. I think that's the intended response. I think that's. The, I think they want you to be uncomfortable with that. I think the idea of militarized Jedi is supposed to be a perversion of what the Jedi are, and you're supposed to get that because they're being manipulated into that by Sidious. I think that's the intended effect of you don't want to see them fight in a war, but they have to. That's interesting. That's the kind of, that's like, and I think it might become kind of more clear as the series goes on and as things get darker, where this, like, this is not supposed to be happening. This is not who the Jedi are supposed to be as kind of a theme in that show. Interesting, because the first time we hear a a mention in any in a new hope of Obi-Wan, he's called General Kenobi. Yeah, yeah, that's actually quite interesting. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> right? Okay, I'm correct, I'm, right? Because don't they see the message? I, I still think maybe, that there maybe is... Maybe not. Maybe they don't see the message first, but I feel like I feel like they know. Yeah. Well, no, I think it does because I think he says General Kenobi, and no, then no, Luke because asks, I wonder if uh, she means old Ben. No, no, I, I think that C three PO translates R two, right. saying that he says he's the property of Obi Wan Kenobi, and then later on, because because I, remember, the, the, they like, only remember all this. they see is help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Then okay. later, Obi Wan gets. R2 to play it correctly. But anyway, one of the first times, not not the That's first true. time, one of the first times he's referred to as General the Kenobi. Thing, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, 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 I said still, it's just for some reason. And and, and if, if it's the intended reaction, then kudos to them because that is certainly the reaction that I, that I give with that. Yeah, at least that's kind of how I interpret it is that we know from the kind of the wider prequel trilogy and kind of some of the stuff around that, that Sidious is manipulating the Clone Wars to his own ends, right? 
like this whole thing is this one long gambit to get him into power to bring the Sith back into power. And I think he specifically used that to mess up the Jedi. That makes a lot of sense to me. Because there's there's a moment that comes up in Attack of the Clones that's never addressed. And I, I, it bugs me so much that he never brings this up again. But there's a scene where Mace Windu is talking to Yoda and he Mace Windu was, I think it's time to inform the Senate that our powers, our ability to use the Force is diminished. <laughs> and you go, excuse me? Like, what? How? how is that possible? What's happening there? And then they just kind of shove it under the rug because a war happens and they've been manipulated from the inside of the Senate to go into this war and and corrupt all of the ideals because they're supposed to be peacekeepers and i like the way i see it is i think that's the intended response to seeing a militarized jedi is to go this is wrong because they're being manipulated that's really interesting okay yeah i forgot about that line but you're right that's never addressed again yeah it's one of the one of the things that comes up with the tackle cones where i'm like "Mm." oh no oh god that wasn't a great movie um so anyway so my, my last question for you what did you like? You know, you, pro- you obviously have heard a lot about uh, Thrawn and about Mara Jade going into this, and you have read the you read the Thrawn novel before yeah. you read this, correct? Yeah, I did. So, and I saw Rebel season three. Right, right. So, um, but what what are you do you what was your reaction to those two characters who are outside of the film characters probably? the two biggest characters introduced in the uh, in the extended universe. So the funny thing is, is that Thrawn, as he appears here, is pretty much just Thrawn as he appears in Rebels and in the novel. Okay. Like, their attempt to be faithful to this novel seems to have succeeded because it lines up pretty well. Like, I got what I was expecting from here, where he's methodical to the point of, like, almost prescient right mm-hmm. like he's seeing things no one else can see through these patterns and the throne novel goes a long way of not explaining how he does it but like kind of giving you an insight of what he's looking for in those kind of scenes which was really interesting um i was surprised at how little he was used uh if i'm being honest i was surprised because he shows up every kind of so often to to enact some kind of grand scheme, but there's he he never interacts with any of our heroes in a lot of ways. He's very removed from what their stories are outside of the uh, sending his his what are they called Nogri the the yeah. gray skinned aliens yeah. uh, after Leah, which I found kind of weird because after the first because there's the first planet that the three of them go to where the the first kidnapping attempt happens, and they're described as grey-skinned aliens, and there's meant to be like an inference that those are the same aliens that Thrawn was talking about, but it doesn't explicitly say it, and it kind of confused me, if I'm being honest. It was kind of a weird scene where I was like, is this supposed, like, is this connected? And it wasn't until later that it was kind of tied back into it, and I kind of realized, oh, that that was what was meant to be happening, which was strange. But yeah, I think I think Thrawn was pretty much what I expected him to be. Um, I was very surprised at how Mara Jade was used in this. And it kind of goes back into Talon Card because I had no idea she worked for Talon Card. Like, that was something that I had, like, no, never heard about before going into this. All I knew about her was that she was the Hand of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. And she's presented as a complete mystery in this novel. And 
for most of it doesn't really show up. She only really shows up towards the end before she kind of explains her thing to to Luke and why she hates him so much. I think that's probably why she became so popular is to present her as... Because even I, even though I knew about her and her deal was kind of like, I don't know what's going on with her. You know, like the the, the mystery behind her was really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and she's a character that, you know, although she is obviously an important part of the story, this is not... These novels are not a showcase for Mara Jade. And I think that as as time went on, people had a lot of fun with the character because she's, she kind of embodies a number of, of different sort of Star Wars character tropes. Like, you know, she has the Force sensitivity kind of she's she's a she's a a gray moral character kind of but she you know so there's a lot of uh she's like a weird amalgam of a lot of different star wars characters and i think that was appealing to people early on as well yeah because she kind of codified a lot of those those attributes early on it seems yeah absolutely uh i'm definitely interested to see more of her it was weird going into it knowing that she eventually marries Luke when she's introduced as thinking about nothing other than hating Luke. Right. That was kind of what grabbed me in. Like, even though I kind of knew her deal, the mystery behind how she gets from there to being his wife is what interests me. And to be honest, I forget how long that takes in the extended universe. I forget if that's, if that's happening by the end of the trilogy or if that takes longer. It might take longer. I have no idea. I might be here for a while. Uh, either way. Oh, you're going to be here for a while, no matter what. You're reading 200 yeah. of the novels, so. Yeah, that yeah, that will do it. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about the book? I don't think so. I think I pretty much covered it. I was, like, I talked about how, like, I, I, I think mostly what it comes down to is that I wasn't expecting it to be such a to-be-continued story. I didn't realize it was going to be such a first part of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be that kind of a New Hope style. Like, it existed on a standalone story, and then, you know, probably the other two would filter in as, like, two halves of a whole. But there is a lot of open ends left that I'm interested in seeing, and I hope that reading the trilogy as a full will make me appreciate this more. Right. Because as it stands, it feels like a lot of it's unresolved purposefully, but it's kind of left me weird. Where I read all of this, and I'm like, I still don't, I still don't know what the Dark Jedi is up to. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Although I but think I'm to check out the other two. Yeah. Although I, I will say this, I will say that if you look at A New Hope, and you try and look at it with blinders on, you know almost nothing about mm. Vader in that movie. Yeah. You never hear of the Emperor in that movie. Um, yeah, you you really don't know what the Jedi mean outside of those very short conversations that Luke has with with Obi Wan. You really don't know Leia's deal. You kind of of all the characters, Han is the most transparent in A New Hope. You have the best yeah, sense of him true. at the end of it. And so when you look at A New Hope, yes, there is a beginning, middle, and end. But in terms of the things, like if you told somebody, you know, if through cultural osmosis, as you said earlier, like you know, you know about Star Wars. Here's the first Star Wars movie. They're probably going to say, there's not a lot in there that I know about. I know way more about these characters than are yeah. presented here. So not that that's a defense of the book. It's just something interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. 
Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at multiversitycomics.com. So let's dig deep. Okay, so that covers kind of my half of the episode, if it will. (laughs) Um, well, I, where I read, I want to hear a little bit more about those Han Solo novels, but the, but we can come back to that later. I I will get to those eventually. Okay. I haven't actually checked those out yet. Oh, you haven't? I thought I, thought... I will come back to that because apparently they are, they are pretty good. Oh, I'm sorry. You um, read the Luke or book? At, at least going by. You read the the Luke? Sorry. You read the Luke novel, not the Han novel. I was confused, right? Didn't you read the what's the name of the book? Um, the first ever Star Wars book, uh, from the '70s. What's it called? Uh, Splinters of the yes, Main's yeah, yeah, Eye. Yes, yes. Yeah. I want to hear about that. Um, we, we can come back to that later if you want. No, that's cool. Yeah, no, I think we'll we'll talk about Aftermath next because okay. I want to I want to break up so that I'm not just talking forever. <laughs> okay. I, I want to get I want to get your your input on this because I want to flip it around on you as you you took your first steps into the the new canon mm-hmm. of Star Wars with the Aftermath trilogy, and I want to see how you thought how you thought that went. All right. Well, overall, I loved them. I really, really enjoyed them. I had so much fun with with the books. Um, I, I have some some critiques, but I think it would be disingenuous for to read three books and have no critiques whatsoever. Uh, yeah, that's fair. But I think that overall, it does a really interesting. It plays a really interesting role in the Star Wars universe. Now, I I, yeah. I, I want to tell a short story before this. So, uh, okay. about six weeks ago. I was recording the DC three cast, one of the other multiversity podcasts, with Vince and Zach, and both of them had read the first Aftermath book. And I said to them, like, oh man, I just finished Aftermath. I can't wait to start Life Debt. I loved it so much. And they were like, Really? They both felt like it was alright, but they didn't love it. And I think part mm. of that is that when they read it, it was before The Force Awakens came out. And I yeah. think people were looking for lots of information about the characters that we know and love already, and yeah. you're not given much of that at all. In uh... yeah, it's so I I think it's interesting that both Heir to the Empire and that Thrawn trilogy and the Aftermath trilogy kind of occupy the similar space in the re- re- respective continuities, but Aftermath has very little to do with the characters we know from the original trilogy, and is more about the the landscape of the galaxy right it's called aftermath i think right and the later novels obviously do a lot more with with specifically han and leia and chewy but yeah um no i i really enjoyed them i'm very glad to hear that because i love these novels my my biggest critique of the novels and i said this to you already i think via twitter or something i just feel like there wasn't a lot like there 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 are so many times in the novels where you think, all right, this is it for Nora, or this is it for Singer, or this is it for, uh, you know, for Sloane. And everybody pretty much comes out of the book fine. I mean, Jom dies. Yeah. But, like, you know, I don't think, I don't think Jom is all that 
Mr. Bones no, goes we, away, we, you know, uh, at the end. But, but Slight retroactive spoiler alert there for people who haven't read them yet, but we've also discussed the novels uh, pretty in-depth yeah. already in episodes. Yes, so. yes, you have. Uh, so, yeah, retroactive spoiler alert. Um, but, you know, like, I, I just feel like that um, for the story yeah, to, have, I, to have had I, yeah. more weight, I think if, if one... I mean, it, it to me, this is most... And obviously he plays a bigger part. But like when I found out that um, what's his name? What's um, what's Nora's husband's name? Brenton, Brenton, right? Uh yes, Brenton. Uh, like when I found out that Brenton wasn't dead, I was a little bit pissy because I was like, oh, even yeah. characters we haven't met yet didn't really die. <laughs> like there's there's no stakes here. You know, everybody turns out okay. Obviously, Brenton becomes a more interesting character as as it goes on. And plays yeah. a really important role. But my biggest critique was just I felt like, especially because these aren't characters that are going to pop up in a film anytime soon. So what's what's the downside of killing Nora? What's the downside of yeah. of, of having more skin in the game? That's my that's my biggest critique of the novels. I think. Yeah, I will agree with you there. I'm very surprised that Nora made it out alive. Especially those last couple of chapters of Emperor's End. Yeah. Because she gets put through the ringer, and I was kind of expecting some kind of... She sacrifices herself in order to keep the New Republic alive. Right. Or something to that effect, right? Like, she sacrifices herself for her ideals. Because that seemed to be where, like, the themes were heading. And other than, like, as we say, Jom and, tragically, Mr. Bones... Everyone else is just kind of fine, and yeah, I I, I totally see where you're coming from there. Uh, I I found myself very interested, and I haven't googled it. I'm trying to read the books uh, without too much foreknowledge, but I'm very interested mm -hmm. to see like where Sloane goes from here, because you sort of get the impression that she's part of the First Order, but you don't really know that, you know. And I, I'm very interested to see if the Phantom Squadron is going to be a thing, which I think it is, right? Isn't there a Phantom Squadron book? Um, Not that I know of. There's an Inferno Squadron Maybe that's book, what I'm thinking that, of. But okay. that deals with uh, Battlefront 2. That's on the the other side. It's the uh, Empire book. Okay. But um, it does deal with um, something of the formation of the First Order, as I, as far as I know. So, you know. But yeah, I, I'm going to hold off on saying something here because I, I don't want to spoil you on I, I don't know if hmm because i don't know what constitutes a spoiler in this territory uh is it a is it a spoiler to say that something does not happen uh no because what i will tell you is that we don't know where ray sloan has gone from there like i have no idea it doesn't show up in any of the other books so far that's where we've left her story right now see that's interesting to me Be yeah because she's the only character I see a direct line to The Force Awakens with. Yep. And that was what I think I talked about with uh, Ken when we were talking about this novel. We both love Ray Sloan, Ken and I. She's maybe my favorite character in these three novels. And to see her essentially create the First Order or the concept of the First Order and then see it like 30 years later without her and Snoke in the picture... I want to know what went down there. I want to know where Snoke come, came from and like took over the First Order from her. You don't think there's any chance she is Snoke? I think at this point anyone could be Snoke. 
because that was my first thought was oh. like oh well she's she's obviously snoke she's that there's going to be something that's going to happen that's going to like greatly damage her and so she is going to uh you know it's it's the wizard of oz you know she's she's behind the curtain yeah um it's possible um i think at this point anything is possible <laughs> right. but i i think i i I think that uh, Lucasfilm is shying away from the idea of you have to have read this in order to understand this kind of storytelling. But there's and a real easy know. way to introduce Sloan without having to read these three books. There probably is, but I, I, I think they would have to do that. They, they wouldn't be able to say, here, the, the reveal is Snoke is a character you've never read, if you haven't heard of, if you've never read aftermath you know but how is that different um, than saying here's a possible. brand new character like, at this point i've stopped hedging bets because it could be anyone that's fair it's one of the downsides i found of building a character out of a mystery is how to make the reveal effective i have no idea who it's going to be honestly i i, I, I like you can't see it but i'm throwing my hands up in the air i have no idea <laughs> yeah n- me neither uh so talk to me about the, well what are your favorite parts of the aftermath trilogy so the 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 short answer here is all of life debt pretty much. I I feel like I should have gone back and reread aftermath the novel in and of itself because I haven't read it since like Force Awakens came out. So I my memory of that is actually kind of hazy, but life debt really stands out as the the highlight of the trilogy for me and how it expands on I so Maybe this is a sign of the fact that I grew up with uh, the prequel trilogies in many ways. I love politics in Star Wars. Okay. I'm that person. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And part of life debt is exploring the politics of uh, the burgeoning New Republic and, like, what's it like for Mon Mothma to try and, like, like sculpt a galactic uh government with her bare hands you know and that's that's the shit that fascinates me it was my favorite parts of uh empire's end is anytime mon mothma shows up like i i love that weird like trying to bring in politics and and this is what real people's lives are like in a world where you know magic exists that's interesting um See, I, I thought that the end of Life Debt was great. Like the um, the the attack during uh, what what's the name of the holiday? Celebration Cele- Day. Uh, it's something like that. It's something. It's not Life Day. I know it's not Life Day. It's not Life Day. It might be a Liberty something. Liberation Day or something. Whatever it is. Like Liberation Day. The the whole attack during that day. It is Liberation Day. Liberation Day. Okay. Uh, the whole attack during that during Liberation Day. I thought was was fascinating and was brilliant and was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, mm-hmm. My big problem with um, and problem is a strong word. My my aversion to calling uh, life debt yeah. the best of the three was to me it didn't exhibit the classic signs of a middle chapter in a trilogy. And I'm somebody okay. who who happens to love the middle chapter of a trilogy, but like. You know, Sloan getting away isn't really a cliffhanger. Like it is, but it's not. Yeah. It's not Han and Carbonite. Luke loses his hand. 
Not really. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I, I felt like actually Empire's End was a much darker book than Life Debt was, and I found myself enjoying Empire's End quite a bit more. Yeah. Uh, I think just because again the stakes felt more real to me. But I enjoyed. I mean, I, I enjoyed all three yeah. really thoroughly. Like I will say that like as much as Life Debt is my favorite of the three novels, it also has like maybe my least favorite part in it which is when they go into that prison ship and find the the prisoners and the empire including nora's husband uh-huh. like i didn't like that reveal i didn't like like it didn't like his as like it didn't connect with me and like i didn't like bringing back uh nora's husband as you mentioned uh yourself and i can't really put a finger on why but there was something about that. This is this is going to sound really weird. There's something about that plot point that feels very sci-fi, in a way that Star Wars isn't. Star Wars. Star Wars is space fantasy. It's not science yeah. fiction. There's something about specifically kidnapping and brainwashing people, and keeping them in like suspended animation that kind of didn't gel with me. But you know, See, I thought as a Matrix hand, girl, you would be all about that. Like you would think, but I'm also highly inconsistent, apparently. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's it's. I think it's a context thing where if it would if it was anywhere else other than Star Wars, it maybe worked. But I think because it's specifically Star Wars, and I have such a inkling of what that means to me, there's something about it that didn't sit right. I'm not sure how to articulate it. That makes that makes total sense. Um, that makes total sense to but me. But on the other hand, everything about like the liberation of Kashyyyk and you know John being kidnapped by that imperial officer and losing an eye and just all like how it really delves deep into like the horrors that the Empire committed on Kashyyyk is my favorite part of those three novels. That's really interesting. I'm not going to say I didn't care because that's not true, but it certainly wasn't my favorite part. Mm-hmm. I guess to me, the character of Jom never really gelled. Like he was okay. He was he was obviously the afterthought of yeah. the of the team, right? And um, yeah, I mean, he's almost introduced as like a Deus Ex Machina in the uh, in aftermath proper. Um, yeah, pretty much. So I, I guess just seeing him fucked up by the Empire, while it was effective, didn't feel like like if that if that happened to Temin or if that happened to Singer, like I think I would be much much mm-hmm. more invested in it. Yeah, I, I I should clarify. It wasn't the fact that the like I also didn't care about John even when he died. I was like, cool, you know, he was because he he was the most like oh, I have to argue with everyone because I care about the mission right. character. Yeah. And I hate those characters usually. <laughs> but they were just his part in the grand scheme of like the liberation of the Wookiees um, had me interested at least for that part. And like the whole infiltration of that camp and the moment you realize that Shinjur is undercover as that other officer, like that that was a that's a shit I love for. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Singer was maybe my favorite character in the in the in the um, series. Yeah, um, I think I think that is the same for a lot of people. I think he was the real kind of standout there, especially on like the hero's side. Yes, agreed. 
Um, so I don't have three questions for you, mostly okay. just the one that I want to get your your reading on. How did you feel about the interlude chapters? Uh, at first, I was annoyed by them because I, I I was just so invested in the story that I wanted okay. to keep reading the story, and I uh, I found it interesting that the interlude chapters got somewhat of a payoff the more you read them like the fact that that characters appear in interludes in all three novels is really interesting to me i also like that there are certain characters that are just like little bits of star wars lore that like the rancor uh caretaker guy like the fact that the fact that he's there like oh i love that guy him him crying is a very like pivotal scene of my childhood you know so uh yeah so like there's there's so much depth to that character now. Yes, absolutely. And so things like that I really enjoyed. What I think is a bit of a shame is that for the most part we're never going to see those characters again unless unless this is Wendig setting up like multiple Star Wars books that maybe he won't even write but other people will be handling in the future. I I think it's a bit of a shame mm-hmm. because I, some of those characters I enjoyed enough to want to know more about them. Yeah, I found the same thing. Um, I didn't have quite the negative reaction to it initially. I found it really interesting um, how they were utilized in in the first novel, especially when, like I said, whenever we cut to like the Mon Mothma scenes of like setting up the first like New Republic Senate meeting. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was super into that stuff, and you know, because it gives us hints at the the playings of the larger galaxy that we kind of only kind of kind of glimpse through these interludes like everything that's happening with this this cult that worships vader you mm-hmm. know that rises up in the wake of basically the, the emperor the empire crumbling apart you know it's little tidbits of stuff that could blossom into larger stories but even if it doesn't it gives you a sense of a galaxy that operates outside of the saga of the Skywalker family. Well, that's what I was going to say I mean? too. Is that like I, I feel that they're especially useful for trying to flesh out what this new canon means. Yeah, I, I, I I'm not going to say spoiler alert because I'm, I'm not entirely sure it's going to happen. I, I have a verbal commitment to talk to Chuck Wendig soon for the show, and if that, we hope so, we hope so. Be, yes, it'll be, be very, it'll be very. If that was could work out, yes, that'll be fantastic. If it does work out. One of the things I want to ask him about is, like, did he feel a responsibility in having to set a tone for the entire new canon? I know there are other novels that came out in the new canon on that, but this seems to me to be the one that really, this series set the tone for what the universe feels like inside of the new canon and what the pressure must have been for that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be be interested to learn that because... You know, like you said, like there's there was novels before that, um, in the new canon, but a lot of them were so it was either very specifically character focused, something like Tarkin, or it was something like Dark Disciple, which was following up on story threads set up in Clone Wars that couldn't like be uh closed out because of the, the series cancellation. Right. Whereas this is the first time we saw a large scale story set in the wider galaxy. And, and, and specifically set yeah, in between I, I, the Battle yeah. of Endor and the beginning of The Force Awakens. Yeah. That's what I was saying uh, earlier about how 
like it, both novels or at least both trilogies kind of have similar places in their respective continuity absolutely and taking those pieces at the end of the return of the jedi and being asking the question of what happens next and at this point it's pretty much like on on one level you know aftermath is the canon book to to in some ways supersede heir to the uh, heir to the empire sorry but in a lot of ways it's pretty much just personal preference as to whether which like continuity you side on yeah yeah um what i think is is fascinating to me is that so the first three star wars novels i ever read were the were the throne trilogy the timothy zahn heir to the empire uh i'm gonna blank on the other two names but that's okay uh and uh and those books really gave me an exciting feeling of, wow, there's so much more to Star Wars than just the three movies and the Ewok movies and the droids TV show, mm-hmm. all of which I had I, I was you know conversant in at the time. Oh God, the Ewok movies. Yeah, uh, Ewok movies. When are we doing a commentary track on the Ewok movies? I actually have an idea. We'll talk about off air for that. Oh God, no. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see about that, but you know, I regret bringing it up now, (laughs) but the, um, the fun part for me was just thinking about like, you know, I had never really considered what happened after return of the Jedi to the universe in general. I had wondered like, I wonder what Luke's doing right now, but that's, that is very Mm -hmm. different than wondering about like the, uh, you know, about the, the state of the universe and so I feel like one of the nice things about Aftermath is the same thing. Like, there are all these, you know, the, these subdivisions of my interest now where I want to... And I, I am so bad with character names, so forgive me. But, like, I want to know more about the guy who bought B- Boba Fett's armor. <laughs> like I, I, I Yeah, want... um, I'm never going to remember his name, but I know exactly who you mean. Yeah, like, I, I, I kind of want more about that guy. I, I kind of want more about the Rancors, uh, uh, you know handler guy i kind of want more about just these random planets yeah. that show up like, I, 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 I want, want an more. entire novel about that guy yeah I, I, just, I just want more and that's how i felt when i read uh air yeah. of the empire i just wanted it was like holy shit there's so much more here that i never considered i want more and part of the fear i have with the new canon to be honest with you is like the, the other part of, of my enjoyment of of this of this series is that I think I enjoyed the new characters more than I enjoyed the stuff with Han and Leia and Chewie. Mm-hmm. I did I did love the Lando interlude. I will say that the Lando interlude yeah. was was great. But I'm I'm a big Lando Mark, so that's not a surprise. Um, but you know, like I love these new characters. And my I mean, Lando is the best character. Yeah, he is. I mean, uh, the 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 way he says to Leia in Empire, yeah. like. You truly belong here among the clouds. Like it's such a, it's such like a baller line. It's yeah. uh, you know, he's so smooth. He's wonderful. Um, but like I, I'm, I'm a little worried that I'm going to be going to enjoy these these next books. Like you know, I said Tarkin. I think is the next one I'm going to read. And then I'm a little mm-hmm. bit worried about not falling in love with the characters. In like you know, a Tarkin novel is not going to. It's just not going to hit me the same way. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to have the rooting interest. The way I had the rooting interest with these characters, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a fair show, honestly. Because um, what I find with the the Tarkin novel is that you really have to be interested in, like, 
this guy that we only really knew as just the bad guy, you know, the evil British bad guy in A New Hope, like, where did he come from within the galaxy to make him act like that within the universe outside of just, oh, he has to be the bad guy? Right. That's kind of one of the driving forces of the novel. And, like, without that, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what your your reaction to that novel would be um i know that i was feverish for anything star wars at that point and the aftermath trilogy hadn't come out yet and so that might be one of the reasons why i just like devoured it immediately but yeah i'm interested to see how you to how you react to something like that or even like something like uh a new dawn if you get to that is that the is that the one that um ties in with uh the clone wars uh, ties in with Rebels. Rebels, I'm sorry, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I, um, I, I yeah. ordered, uh, on my birthday, I, I treated myself to a bunch of used Star Wars books. So I got um, a New Dawn, I got Thrawn, I got Tarkin, I got uh, one or two more. So I have like five at my disposal now, and uh, we had talked before I ordered them about the ones I should okay. get. You know, to, to sort of get myself into a good place. So my goal is to finish all of those by the end of the summer, but we'll see if that happens or not. Yeah. I mean, it's a challenge, but I don't. there's nothing, like, necessarily on the line here. No, no. You um, know. Basically, it was just an excuse to get you reading some of the new canon stuff so that whenever I talked about Aftermath, I wasn't getting blank stares. <laughs> like, the internet equivalent of blank stares, you know? Yeah. I, what I am what I am sort of dreading is I'm dreading my first bad new canon novel. Yeah, my my one of that was I, the heir to the Jedi novel. Was that kind okay. of sinking feeling where you realize I didn't enjoy this? Yeah, and it sucks. It's funny. Like I, there are certainly I, I listen to music all day long. I'm I'm a I'm a voracious mm. music listener and I'm a voracious comic reader cuz for the DC3 cast I have to be, right? So I I'm I'm used to music and comics letting me down. I am very careful with what I read like novel-wise and non-fiction-wise. Yeah. Like I I curate my my bookshelf very carefully because the time commitment involved with reading a novel is way different than reading a comic or listening to an album or something. So I'm I don't read a lot of books I don't like. And that's probably a yes. bad thing. I, sh- I should probably take more chances with that. But, you know, so I-, I feel like reading, like, halfway through a novel I don't like, I just want to give up usually. So I- I'm really going to have to fight through that feeling with uh, with some of these. Yeah. I mean, I would say there's there's no, like, shame in giving up a book because, uh, at least outside of the Aftermath trilogy, these new canon novels have been very specific to the the characters they're about and their little corners of the galaxy. So there's not a whole lot you're missing if you're not specifically interested in those little corners of the galaxy. Okay. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, l- let's go back to those um, that Luke yeah. novel you read, I'm not, not going to shame you for giving up. <laughs> I, I lost you there for a second, I think. Okay, sorry. What did you say? I, I said I, I'm really interested to hear about this... Um, I keep forgetting the name of it. The 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 Luke novel you read, the uh, the first uh, ever one. Yeah, so that was a splinter of the mind. Splinter eye. of the mind's eye. It's such an it's such a weird turn it's of phrase. The, so the thing is, is that the title is the worst title. Yeah, it's the worst thing to title anything possible, and I have no idea what it actually ties into in the novel. I have no idea why it was titled that. <laughs> it doesn't tie into anything actually in the story. 
basically this was the novel that was written like the 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 story of this novel is that it was written to be possibly the the low budget sequel to star wars if it hadn't been the massive hit that it was where it was designed to be a low budget sci-fi movie closer to like the even possibly even lower budget than a new hope and so it's why you know han solo completely isn't in it because they didn't know if they were going to get harrison ford back for a sequel you know it all takes place on one planet with very little action just in case they couldn't afford it and it makes an entire novel that's basically one long fetch quest feel very very long okay that's interesting Ah, it's a very weird book, and because it was designed to be a possible sequel, it has a very kind of open end with very little resolution, and I know there's never going to be a resolution, because they just ignored it once they published it. (laughs) Uh, Isn't this the book where Luke walks around just basically mentally undressing Leia the whole time? It really is, and it's so (laughs) disturbing, and it's really hard to get through it. So basically every every single chapter that takes place from his point of view is about how how pretty the princess is and how how much the princess would never be with a farm boy like him. And it's the most, like everybody apparently uses it as the father for like, George didn't come up with the fact that they were twins right away because otherwise he'd have been like, hey, this isn't cool right and it's just it's 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 so weird in hindsight to to see these characters that you know are siblings and he's like lusting over her pretty heavily and it's it gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies is there anything from the book that like you think would have been a cool thing to follow up on in future novels or in future you know extended universe stuff or is it so um not really Okay, like there's simple. actually very little in the way of the novel. It gets more into and in, into like its own version of like forced stuff. It's the first time that it introduces something like a kyber crystal, but doesn't introduce it as a lightsaber crystal. It's just a generic force crystal that like boosts the user's force powers <laughs> to the point where, if I'm if I remember correctly, Luke pretty much does a Kamehameha from Dragon Ball Z against Darth Vader with it. Like, he shoots a, like, a ball of light energy out of his hand with the Force. And it feels so weird. That's interesting. That's really interesting because, you know, obviously these things all develop at different speeds. But you can tell that you know, Lucas likes to make it sound like he had the whole trilogy written before A New Hope started the film. But obviously, yeah, that's not true. Oh, yeah, it's 100% not true. Um. And you can really tell if you read this novel. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you said there was some uh, some Clone Wars stuff you wanted to, to grill me about? There actually, yeah, but we, we pretty much covered it when I talked about the uh, the Jedi stuff. Oh, okay. Because um, it, was what, it was what had come up in your last couple of reviews was about the kind of militarized Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about how I thought that was the intended effect of those storylines. Right. Okay. I'm really enjoying the Clone Wars so far. I, uh... I think my problems with them will more or less be ironed out, but my problems with them are not so dire that I don't that I, I dread watching it or anything like that. I, I'm really still enjoying yeah. it quite a bit. It is. It's one. It's definitely a show that takes its time uh, 
finding its feet in the first season. But I think once it gets into it, you'll see why I hype it up so much. Or at least I'm I'm hoping you will, basically. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm such a Star Wars mark that, you know, this stuff is just catnip for me. So Yeah. Um remind me, what was the what was the last episode that you watched? I just finished the, the two parter. Um the first was Downfall of the Droid, and the second one is the Duel of the Droids with R three. Okay. The, the rogue uh the rogue agent droid. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm interested to see what the your reaction to the next episode is. Uh but after that I think is when you might see it start to pick up. Okay. I know in two episodes time there's one that I, I really enjoyed and then from there to the finale is just like a straight shot of pretty good episodes. I, I think it's a really good show. I think that there's a lot there's a lot that Lucas could have learned for, about the prequels if if this show had been made first, but obviously that's not the way it is. Oh yeah. And I wonder um, how much of this is a, a mea culpa on Lucas's part. Like, I wonder if if this show, in any sense, was him trying to correct the sins of... The, and I know he's not super involved with the Clone Wars, but I wonder if, if he felt... I, I think... Like, he felt he had I, to fix from things. From what I can tell, I think you'd be surprised at how involved he was. Really? Like, there is a bunch of stuff in there that people kind of... yeah. Because he he is officially credited as executive producer, right? But a lot of the storylines and a lot of the story beats he worked either in tandem with the uh, the story team behind the writers behind it to to bring it to the show, or it was just an, an idea that he came up with top like that he brought to them. I've been continually surprised at how much people like, specifically Pablo Hidalgo, has said, "Yeah, no, George came up with that idea." You know? Interesting. Like, you... So, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that you know that Darth Maul comes back. Yes, I'm aware right? of that, yes. Yeah. That was George Lucas's idea. And it's been confirmed that like he was the guy that brought that to the table because no one else would have come up with that or thought that they would be allowed to do that. He was the guy that said, yeah, no, we're bringing him back. See, that, that pisses me off, though, because I feel like if you're... like Okay. <laughs> Slight rant here. Okay, there is there is it. no reason that General Grievous couldn't have been Darth Maul. Yeah. No reason. Um, yeah. And if you're gonna bring I, him back, I, bring I him back there. Same, I, yeah. I, I I have the same uh, critique. I think it was very silly of them to kill Darth Maul outright, or like you know, as far as we knew, Darth Maul was killed outright at the beginning or at the end of Phantom Menace, right? right like right. he was just dead. And it's like, imagine if you get to the end of A New Hope and they kill Darth Vader and then an Empire Strikes Back, instead of having the reveal of, you know, Darth Vader being Luke's father, instead of having that built-in connection to their conflict, you just have a new bad guy. Like, I, I, it's a decision that I, I don't understand to this day, but yeah. I, I was surprised that he was the guy that came up with bringing him back when he was the guy that killed him off in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're familiar with the idea of the machete theory, right? Yeah, yeah. And the reason the machete theory works is because you, there's almost nothing that happens in The Phantom Menace that plays out in any other film. Like, Qui-Gon is dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, Darth Maul is dead. You know, just they just it's it's such a really a self-contained story you don't really need it the problem is the stuff they kill off in phantom menace is way more interesting than anything in attack of the clones oh for sure um because 
as like as soon as you meet any of the character in the ca- Attack of the Clones, they're at their worst point in any of the prequels. Yep. Like Anakin is a whiny teenager. Obi Wan is an overbearing mentor who doesn't actually know what he's doing because he was thrust into the role of a mentor too early. Padme has nothing going on because Luke has never actually bothered to write a character for her at that point. Right. And what is the plot of Attack of the Clones? No one can explain to me the plot of Attack of the Clones because it makes no goddamn sense. This Agreed. is. I'm going to go off on a rant on uh, Attack of the Clones if I don't stop myself because the. <laughs> The the game of mousetrap that Lucas set up to actually get clones into the movie makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's terrible. The movie's called Attack of the Clones, and it takes 20 minutes for him to explain what a clone army is. And oh. they don't really ever attack. Okay, yeah. They, well, <laughs> they kind of attack on Genosis. But, but they, 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 was, they don't yeah. attack the... They don't, okay, <laughs> If there was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Attack of the Clones, you would presume the clones attack Indiana Jones. Yeah. Call on the movie Attack of the Clones, now the clones on the side of the Jedi makes no sense. It's not... I do not... I cannot make heads or tails of any decision made in that movie. (laughs) And it's the wildest thing. And I don't know how we got into Attack of the Clones from Heir to the Jedi. I don't know either, but that's the beauty of the show. That's like every time we have a conversation, we I find ourselves halfway through a conversation and be like, I don't know how we got here. <laughs> because Star Wars, that's why. Because Star Wars. Yeah, I I think that might be an episode. I think I so. think that might be an episode. I think so. Um I think that's a good a good place to, to wrap up there. We got some we got some good hits in. From here I know that I'll be interested in finishing out the Thrawn trilogy at some point. I'm gonna start on those continuing to read some of the uh the dark horse comics that are very weird and i might end up dedicating part of an episode just to them because there's some wild shit going on there (laughs) well i I have a proposal for you oh do tell when does the uh phasma novel come out uh let's find out i believe it is sometime in september uh it should be released september 1st Okay, so why don't we, in October, why don't we talk about where we are? We'll do our next reading order, our next reading check-in then, and we'll both have read Phasma. That sounds like a plan. Okay. I'm into that. It'll be interesting to see if I can read both of those novels in that time, but I will try to. Come on, if I could read the Aftermath trilogy in a month, you can do this, Alice. Yeah, you, yeah that's a good point. So, yeah, let's, let's reconvene in October and see how we're getting on. Works for me. Cool. So that has been our episode of Force Ghost Coast to Coast. I have been your host, Alice W. Castle, and with me has been Brian Salvatore of Multiversity Comics. Tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, at Brian Needs a Nap on Twitter, and uh, every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, I post a review of The Clone Wars. So that is relevant to the listenership. So check it out. Uh, comment on the articles. Let's get a conversation going, but don't spoil shit for me. I will come find you. Yeah. Yeah. We don't we don't want spoilers here. Even though we just spoiled the shit out of like four novels for you. We did. We did. We did, but you know, that's the that's the give and take here. You can find me at Alice W Castle on Twitter. I'm gonna record an intro for the show in the style of Mabim Bam 
and say basically that uh, Alice and Brian are not experts and they will spoil everything for you. Yeah, pretty much. I, I need to p- keep putting spoiler tags at the beginning of episodes and then I forget to. And then it's too late and we've already dropped the spoiler. And I'm like, well, you roll a dice. Shrug emoji. Yeah. This entire podcast is one big Star Wars themed shrug emoji. <laughs> but cool. Uh, you can find me at Alice W. Castle on Twitter at Multiversity Comics as one of the associate editors there. Every month I post a annotations column about Marvel's Star Wars comics. One just came up last Tuesday that was about um, June's comics where we talked, I, we, I looked at the new Darth Vader series and the end of the Screaming Citadel and there's some pretty cool stuff in there. So go check that out if you've been reading the Marvel Star Wars comics. And as always, may the force be with you.